boundless love and mercy. He gave His only Son, who became the sacrifice. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Oh God's mercy, so amazes me. Oh God's mercy, so amazes me. To every generation, He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh God's mercy, so amazes me. Good morning. It's great to be here with you. We're streaming live from Rick Bonfin Ministries office in Athens, Georgia, and we are looking forward to being in the Word with you today, Acts chapter 8. I invite you to go ahead and start turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We'll start with verse 9, and as you are flipping there, I'll go ahead and give a quick announcement, a reminder, we are having our Christmas dinner this uh Thursday evening at 7 p.m., and uh, if you have not pre-registered, then it's a little bit late, but if you call us, we might be able to uh, work a miracle for you. So, if you would like to come and you think about, you've been thinking about it and you, and you said, oh man, in the busyness of Thanksgiving, I forgot to send in my registration, call us up and, and we'll see what we can do, okay? We don't want you to miss out. We want to have you there. We're going to sing some great Christmas songs, hear some testimonies visit and fellowship and we're looking forward to having you there so call us and let us know if you can make it okay you should be in your bibles to acts chapter 8 by now and so we're going to read uh verses 9 to 25 and uh it's kind of a story this is a narrative so it reads pretty easily reads flows pretty well and it's about when philip goes to the region of samaria to minister there. So let's begin with uh, verse 9 and we'll read through 25. Acts chapter 8. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wandered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then we're going to continue with verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on Whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. 
Repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Woo! Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Wow, what an amazing story. There's really, I've found, sort of two main threads or studies to, uh, to follow here in, in this story. One is the gospel coming to the Samaritans, and the other one is what happens with Simon the sorcerer. But let's ask a few quick questions, okay? So where are they there in Samaria? Now, Samaria is uh, representative of sort of the northern tribes. If you remember... If you remember from the Old Testament Bible history, right? Uh, after Solomon, uh, the two sons, after the, the kingdom split. After Solomon, you had the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And so the northern kingdom of Israel was set up, the capital was set up in the region of Samaria. Okay? So that's the northern kingdom. That's the region they are now. So who's involved? Well, you have Philip. You have Simon the sorcerer. You've got Peter and John and the people of Samaria. And then when does this happen? It happens right after the stoning of Stephen and the beginning of the Christian persecution, especially by, by Saul, begins to happen. Okay? So let's talk about Samaria just a little bit because Samaria is a really fascinating uh, geographical location. You know, a lot of biblical history centers around Jerusalem and, and Judea, but Samaria... There's a lot in the Bible about this area. And it's very important to the heart of God. So let's, let's look at that a little bit. So Samaria was the central political, social, and religious hub of the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? And it followed the division of the twelve tribes. Okay? After, uh, after the northern, the northern kingdom consists, consisted of ten tribes. Okay? And the capital was Samaria. And then, uh, one interesting thing about Samaria was that every king, every king listed in the Old Testament of the northern uh, kingdom was said to be evil. Not a single one. If you go and read 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, where, you know, it, it kind of has that uh, repetitious thing, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, or he did good in the eyes of the Lord, if you remember that from reading the Old Testament. Every single one of the northern tribe did, uh, did evil, did evil in the eyes of God. So let's look at a, a just one, uh, just one example of one of these evil kings, King Ahab. King Ahab introduced Baal worship into the northern tribes. Okay, First Kings sixteen thirty to thirty three. Now Ahab the son son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. In other words, the northern tribes were very familiar with occultic practices. They, in, they intermarried. In, in fact, Ahab married Jezebel, who was a Canaanite woman. And so, the northern tribes... There's hundreds and hundreds of years of practicing Baal worship, 
of practicing occultic worship. And so why do we do this review of Samaria? Real quick, I did a short review, right? Well, because spiritually, Samaria has a long history of idol worship. Hundreds of years. And so it's no wonder that someone like Simon the Sorcerer is able to practice this vocation during this time. Because there's a long history of generational idol worship. And so now, the spiritual state of the northern tribes is totally depleted. And so you have guys like Simon, who's able to be a false prophet, able to practice his, his uh, dark magic or whatever, demon worship, essentially, and trick the people. So, in the eyes of the Jews, Samaritans were considered spiritual harlots. They were no good. They were worthless. They intermarried. You know, they, they, uh, they didn't consider Jerusalem as the central location for worshiping God. Um, they had a, a long history of, of idol worship. And, and so, the Samaritans, in the eyes of many Jews, were not even worthy of receiving any blessings of God. But... We've got to remember that the people in the land of Samaria are subject to the prophetic voice of God. Okay? So, looking at uh, the biblical history of the region of Samaria, many Jews of that day had written them off, but God had not. Why? Because they are under the prophetic voice of God. So, let's look at that a little bit. Well, Jesus says in Acts 1.8 that the gospel will specifically go to the Samaritans, right? And then we also have Jesus going and ministering to the woman on the well in John 4. And as he goes and ministers to the woman at the well, many people in that region are saved because of that woman's testimony. So obviously in the heart of Jesus, the Samaritans are very important. Okay? But then let's go look at Hosea. Because Hosea was a prophet from uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, one of the minor prophets, that spoke about the northern kingdom. He specifically prophesied to the northern kingdom. So we're going to go look at Hosea 6, 1 through 3. And this is a prophecy for the northern tribes, this region that Philip is in right now. And Hosea says, Come, let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn, and He will heal us. He has smitten, and He shall bind us up. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up, and we shall live in His sight. Verse 3 of chapter 6, Then shall we know, if we follow on to know the Lord, His going forth is prepared as the morning, and it shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So what am I saying here? I'm saying that that hundreds of years ago, 700s B.C., Hosea prophesied that the northern tribes, this region of Samaria that Philip is in right now, would return to the Lord. And so, when you think about that, okay, we are seeing in the story of Philip and the Samaritans the unfolding of Hosea's prophecy happening. And so, honestly, Simon the sorcerer doesn't stand a chance. I mean, this guy is, a, is an upstart who is just trying to make a living, really. And, but when, when you've when you got a guy like this trying to stand against a prophecy given by Hosea that God has been working out 
in his heart for hundreds of years. I mean, honestly, Simon the sorcerer, just he's inconsequential, really. Honestly, I mean, he has no chance, no, no opportunity at all. There's no way he is ever going to be victorious in this region against Philip and Peter and John. Because God, God is on a mission to save His people and nothing will stop God from accomplishing His purpose. Now, I hope this will help you see um, a New Testament story like this from a different light. Because, see, Philip's ministry in Samaria is not something that happened out of a vacuum. You know, he, he didn't just show up there by chance. That's the power of the prophetic voice of God that began hundreds of years ago out of the mouth of Hosea the prophet. And now, Philip is being used by God to begin working out that prophecy of Hosea chapter 6 in this region. It's a result of hundreds of years of God's prophetic purpose being worked out. So, let's apply this a little bit. Let's apply this a little bit. The prophetic promises of God are stronger in our own personal lives than the circumstance or influence of the world or the flesh or the devil. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, look, you know, when we look at a, at a story like this, sometimes if you take it as a snapshot and you don't see the bigger picture of the context, then it sort of looks like this is some sort of, you know, uh, God versus the devil wrestling match. But that's I'm not at all. Like I already said, Simon the Sorcerer really is inconsequential. God's already won the victory. And so, that's the same in your life. See, God has already has prophecies over you, over your life, over your family, over your children, over your business, that, that, that the devil can't stop it. So God, God will not leave us abandoned to the schemes of Satan. Just like God has shown His light to Samaria and proved Simon false, He's going to show in our own personal lives, in our families, where the devil wants to make us think that he's in control. You ever been there, right? Where things just look so bad and it just looks like... like in the, the story seems to present that Simon was, was in control, right? All the people revered him as somebody who was great. And he presented himself as somebody that was in charge. But really, he was not in charge. He was not in control. He was fooling himself and he was fooling all the people. Because when God's prophetic purposes begin to be worked out in His people's lives, then the devil has no chance. So don't believe that lie, that sneaky lie that wants to come in and make you think that that circumstance is impossible with God. You're like the, you, all of us have got to look at this story and, and see that we're like the people of Samaria where the devil might be trying to work something. He might be trying to convince us that he's in charge. But don't buy it. It's a lie. Don't buy it. Alright, so, what about Simon? Okay, so that, so sort of the gospel coming to Samaria is one aspect of this. And just that whole concept of God's prophetic purposes being finally fulfilled in His people uh, you know, it's just an amazing thing to see the gospel going to Samaria. That, that region had been spiritually a desert for hundreds of years and 
finally God shows up and the Holy Spirit just pours over them. But, but what about Simon? A lot of people wrestle with this question, right? What, what about Simon the sorcerer? Because, you know, it seemed like, the way it's presented, it seemed like Simon had a genuine salvation. You know? So, the questions come up, was, was Simon actually saved? Was he actually saved and then lose his salvation? Or, or was he not ever saved? Well, I want to put, I want to put this into a... Uh, uh, I really want to lean on Jesus to interpret this and not, okay, as best I can. I want to lean on Jesus because I actually think that Jesus prepared us in His own teaching to wrestle with this question. So let's look at a passage like Matthew chapter 13. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to go down. This is a very familiar parable. It's a parable of the sower. So uh, let's go on down to uh, starting with verse uh, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, talks about, you know, Jesus talks about the sower, going out to sow seed. The gospel is like the sower. Goes and throws the seed on all kinds of soil. Okay? Some fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Others fell into good ground. Okay, so then if we go further down uh, in Matthew chapter 13, after the disciples come and ask Jesus to explain it to them, um, really verse 22 is the key verse that, that I, I want to uh, look at. Because verse 22 says, Now, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and that was Simon, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. All right, let me read that again. Because this, think about Simon and the way it was presented. Because it says that he believed and that he was baptized. It says he believed and it says he was baptized. Okay? And that he began to follow uh, Philip around. But let's look at verse 22 again of Matthew chapter 13 because this is, I think this is really where I, the sort of the linchpin to understand what happens with Simon. Jesus says, He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. That was Simon. He heard it. He responded to it. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Simon is like verse 22. That's him, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Simon knew that there was something genuine about Philip, Peter and John. I mean, he saw that it was a real thing, but his interest was for self-gain. In other words, a worldly gain. He wasn't interested in eternal. So looking at the teaching of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised to find an example like this in the Bible. Jesus said there would be people like this, like Simon the sorcerer. There, Jesus told us, Ahead of time, there would be people like this. You're going to find people like this in your church. It's heartbreaking, but there's people who go to church to make business transactions. I have a pastor in the room right now 
who has a little smirk on his face, and I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> but it's true. Now, what do we do? Do we get angry and upset? Well, you know, as pastors, as leaders, we have to be aware of sort of some of the motivations of, our, of the people in our congregation and, and be sure that we are trying to shepherd the flock and, and not allowing, you know, those people to come into control. But, but ultimately, we have to have hope that they might, they might repent one day. Because what happened to Simon? Well, we don't know for sure. He doesn't have a very good uh, uh, church history. Does not give him a very good report. He's he, some say he's the father of Gnosticism, one of the two of the greatest heresies of the Christian faith. Well, that's not a very good uh, reputation to have, you know. I mean, my hope is that Simon eventually heeded Peter's words and repented of his sins. And turn to God with a pure heart. We don't know for sure if he ever did that or not. We don't have any uh, any Christian literature or reports that he did, but maybe he did. Maybe in his last days he finally realized that uh, he needed to turn his heart to God in, in purity. But what can we learn from Simon? Well, honestly, motives matter to God. Let me say that again. A lot of people... A lot of people think if I just do the right thing, it doesn't matter where my heart is. No. No. This story teaches us that that is not true. Motives, the motives of our heart matter to God. It really does. In other words, we have to put the needs of others ahead of self-gain in the kingdom. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's what the uh, apostles started doing after the resurrection and ascension and the baptism... They suddenly realized, man, it's not about me. I've got to give everything. That's why they were able to rejoice when they were flogged. You know? You know, the truth is that all of us may have some selfish motive at times. Okay? So we can't be, you know, pretend that we're, you know, we're, we're totally pure in our emotions all the time. So we can't be quick to, we can't be so quick to condemn others to, to, you know, and, and condemn. We can't be quick to, to condemn ourselves either. You know, uh, we have to have grace. But it's a reminder. It's a reminder that even if our motives are impure, we can at least pray that God would make them pure, right? At least have that heart to say, God, I know that all my motives aren't right, but I know that I, I can't have an impure heart towards you and honor you. You're not, you know, I don't want to be like Simon, God. You know, I. I want to have a pure heart, and I know that it's not pure all the time, but please, God, would you just work with me? God will respond to that, that prayer. God really will, really will. Another thing we can learn is that, so the first one is, motives matter to God. Another one is, believing in the power of God is not the same as surrendering your life to God and repenting of your sins and seeking to live a holy life. You know, Simon genuinely believed, but there was not any repentance. Okay? There's a difference. Simon genuinely believed. He saw that what Philip was doing was real. He saw that what Peter and John was doing was real. And he believed in it. But he did not have a repentant heart towards God. So that's two different things. And God desires a repentant heart towards Him. God, I confess my sins before you. I'm not perfect. I believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, 
that only through the cross am I made holy. There's nothing in myself that I have to offer God that's any good. So I'm surrendered to you, God. And please, God, would you use my life. Man, now that, 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 that is a repentant heart that meets faith. Okay? When faith and repentance join together, you got a Christian that's unstoppable. But see, Simon was not able to match faith with repentance. And so he couldn't be used by God. Peter just let him have it. And I'm glad he did, honestly. You know, Simon needed to hear that. You know, and I hope that someday, or whenever I need to, I can let somebody have it if that's what God calls me to do. But let us not be afraid that this story is somehow there to make us afraid, right? That's, that's not the purpose of the story. Because we may not be par- perfect, but you know what? Our God is perfect. Our God is perfect. And as we surrender our lives to Him, He will renew us day by day to strengthen us, to help us work out our salvation, to overcome uh, the things in our hearts that are not pure towards Him. He knows our hearts already. He's not surprised that we have some things to overcome. So don't be afraid to come to God and say, Lord, I I just, you know, I I don't want to be a Simon. I I want to be surrendered to You. I I believe in You and and, and I want to have a repentant heart towards You so You can use me, God. Because, you know, uh, You couldn't use Simon because he wouldn't repent. But God, I repent. Man, God will use that. Don't be afraid to come to God with, with your impure heart. He'll make you pure. He has so much mercy and grace. So, I hope that these two sort of tracks, the prophetic move of God in, the, in Samaria will encourage you. And the example of Simon to see how God is challenging us to come to Him with faith and repentance every day to be used by Him would encourage you this morning. I had a lot of fun putting this together. I hope you enjoyed following along. Uh, send us a message. Let us know that you are listening and that you're tuning in. By the way, stay tuned because right after me at 9.30, there'll be another great Bible lesson that you don't want to miss it. All right, so stay tuned. Have a great day. As I watch the world around me, I can see His from the seed of Abraham and led them through the wilderness into the promised land in boundless love and mercy he gave his only son who became the sacrifice for everyone oh god's mercy so amazes me oh god's mercy so amazes me to every generation he gives the joy of his salvation 